Hello and welcome. My name is Brent Weaver and this is the Digital Agency Show. The podcast that goes behind the scenes with today's top agencies and entrepreneurs. I am really glad you're here. And once again, it's time to transform your business mindset. Hey, what's up, agency owner? If you're new here, I've got a free gift for you on how to scale your agency to multiple six and even seven figures and beyond by overcoming your dependency on referrals, doubling your profit per project, and removing yourself from the main bottleneck in your business. All you have to do is text the word FREEDOM to 720-792-8036. Again, that's 720-792-8036. Just text the word FREEDOM and I'll send you the free gift on how to achieve freedom in your agency and life. Hey, what's up, podcast listeners, digital agency owners. Welcome to another episode of the Digital Agency Show. I'm your host, Brent Weaver, and today we're hanging out with Aiden Foster. Aiden is the CEO and founder of Foster Interactive. He is a Toronto-based web design and UX agency He is a tiny bit obsessed about process and user experience and how to improve quality on both the site's design and code. He's got an amazing agency team of seven folks plus some extended contractors right now. He's been in the game for 17 years and he primarily builds higher ed and B2B sites on Drupal. He also founded or is hosting Canada's largest annual Drupal conference called Drupal North. And uh, we're going to talk to him about his experience with his agency. And also, he's a current and uh, longtime YouGurus member. So, Aiden, welcome to the program, man. Thank you so much, Brent. It's great to be here. So, 17 years ago, right, you kind of got into, uh, got into this business. What was the catalyst for you in terms of starting an agency? I had a seriously misguided notion that uh, I didn't, I I basically graduated from university and had a little freelance gig with another friend from school. And I figured I didn't want to, you know, have all my hard work go to someone else. So I literally one month after graduating incorporated my business and um, did a road trip for a month and then incorporated business. And here I am. Wow. So it's been a long journey, a lot of fun. And boy, was I seriously misguided uh, <laughs> jumping in and doing all that. But it's it's been a lot of fun. And uh, um, a lot of like lean years at the beginning. I wish I could have like fast tracked some of those lessons that uh, were learned by jumping in and swimming. Uh, but I'm super happy to that, that I ended up taking that path. Do you remember what your first client was? Hmm. We did a lot of work for the condominium industry in Toronto, building websites in Flash, with like <laughs> anim- animated music intros and all that business. Yeah, I can, I'm, I'm already imagining it, like we're showing like a condo lobby, right? Like some music, like yeah, with yeah. with the mouse cursor, like is an animated thing. It was all terrible, uh, but over time, basically, we um, that was the freelance work I did. So we kind of started off there. Uh, quickly picked a content management system. Uh, we put a bunch up on the chopping block at the time. Ended up selecting Drupal and then doing a lot of work with ad agencies. So they do the the selling, get the clients, and then we would execute those Drupal builds, which are a little too complicated for their many in-house teams. And it was really a great gig for a while. And basically, I'd be like, hey, I've figured out this system and, and got it all mapped out. Uh, and then responsive design happened. So uh, 2010 or so, you know, it became clear the writing was on the wall. We have to figure out how to make websites work with our iPhones and our tablets. 
And basically it was really interesting because all the ad agencies out there wanted to jump on the bandwagon. They signed up the clients, they priced them the same as they did their old websites. They were garbage. They couldn't, they basically weren't equipped to produce comps and creative for the new paradigm, which was, mm. uh, which was responsive. And so they're used to basically designing books, which static size websites kind of are quite similar to, but the whole game changed. And it was a really interesting time to be a little scary to go through at the time <laughs> uh, to see it, to see these transitions. But like, it was basically overnight, we had to change how we programmed everything. And with that new programming methodology came new design processes to even think about how you're going to plan your website. So I kind of remember going to my clients. I, I did a bunch of early training with some sort of um, uh, some industry leaders that I sort of mentored under. And I went back to the clients after a couple of sessions. I'm like, hey, guys, great news. We can make websites that work on mobile phones and desktops and, and it only costs double. <laughs> and, you know, you can imagine how that went over with the agency. So basically, I lost like half my clients overnight, but I kind of knew it was the future. It was like the least bad option we had, like democracy, right? It's like not perfect, <laughs> but it's the least bad thing you can pick. And so it was the beginning of a journey of like switching out from being an agency provider uh, with this because we had to help them figure out design. And so this began a long process of like, getting into wireframing so that we could give wires that made sense from an implementation mm. point of view over to the agency and they do their brilliant branding and visual identity work and it would come back to us. And so it, it became, it began this evolution of both sort of my personal skills, but our, our agency going from, you know, vendor for agency, executing to comps that are delivered to starting to do some UX work, uh, user experience design and wireframes and then we would build the websites, they'd come back and they'd look great. But then the next sort of, you know, phase began where I was like, gee, I love, I love how it looks, but like the clients can't execute the content to fill out the website so that it works and is really effective. Or maybe there's some stuff that's yeah. confusing or whatever. And that sort of began the evolution of the next phase of our business that I really think began, which is where we really started focusing on user experience design, doing some research on our audiences trying to understand them and build navigation structures that made sense and actually testing them with uh, using some user experience practices to figure those things out. Yeah. And really, really, you know, it was kind of neat every like every couple of years, you know, basically it's, there's an itch to scratch where I'm like, I wish we could like <laughs> execute this piece. You know, it's like a really awesome website, except this piece isn't quite there. And, and that's always been the motivation to go a little bit further each time, mm. uh, which has sort of led us down a long journey of now, you know, way back when we were basically like a Drupal shop and now we're like a UX shop that does some Drupal. Yeah. Uh, it's been a sort of shift in, in the direction of, of where we focus. That's, I mean, that's interesting. I mean, I feel like, I mean, user experience has to have been around for a long time in some form or fashion. Yeah. But when you really start thinking about the amount of stuff that moved to the web and the amount of stuff that has moved to, you know, the amount of problems we solved in our life with software and the multiple different devices and am I at my desk? Am I on the go? And kind of where where people are at, obviously that that kind of accelerated. I know as a as a as an early web designer, right, in 1998 or whatever, at least no, mm -hmm. nobody I was talking to, none of the HTML books talked about user experience, right? It was like, you know, can you get this thing online? Can it work? Right. That was kind of like web 1.0, like, does it work? And then like web 2.0 was like, oh, let's make it work better. But your agency, you started to lean in a little bit to 
UX. And specifically, I know you've mentioned to me that you, you know your core target market's really that higher ed, and then you also do some B2B, which are both they both play well with Drupal, from my understanding. Yeah. How how has has UX showed up in your business model? As an agency, because I feel like it's one of those like terms that we as like web pros and agents like we we love the like oh user experience like let's go and let's create these like you know these these mockups and wireframes and walkthroughs and you know these these you know mockups that you can click and navigate and let's like test things and have users you know like, we 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 love all that stuff but sometimes I feel like when I explain that to like clients or business owners or stakeholders right they kind of they gloss over a little bit. Right, just a little bit. <laughs> they gloss over totally. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's a great. That's a great uh, point. Uh, a lot of people use the word UX, and I describe it as the back from my agency. You know, when we did a lot of agency work, I would describe this as the hand wavy version of UX, where someone's presenting and pitching really well in a meeting, and they're like basically presenting UX as we are doing some design work. We have built many websites, and this is UX design. And that is not what UX design is at all. UX design is when you identify the needs of your audience and you identify the needs uh, of your organization and you systematically find the overlap where there's some boundary between those two things. And then you that is that is where people can solve their problems with your solution. And so another way of thinking about UX is that I like to sort of say is in a practical sense on a website, we can't control, you know, your organization does things and wants to communicate things and people need things. And we're, those are almost like independent. So we have to discover this and basically enable people to ignore what they're not interested in so they can find the solution that you provide for them. And so that's really the big picture goal. So when I, you know, the question is, how does it go into our business process? We definitely drive into talking about like there's a systematic process where we work with you to extract the knowledge of who is your audience and and what do they want to accomplish and who are your business, what is your business and what are you trying to accomplish? Me as an outside vendor, I can't possibly know the answer to those two questions. So if someone comes in and sits down and pretends they have the answer for you before you start, Either they are you and like, you know, know the ins and outs of your industry and they're hyper focused, which is possible, but not super likely, or they're just making it up. And sometimes people make it up and they guess and they guess right. And that's perfect. But, you know, uh, for us, we just say, okay, we have a process and a a system that's established and we use we, we take you through this system so we can discover these two pieces and figure out how to basically let folks ignore what they're not interested in. Uh, so they can find what they are. Hey, what's up, agency owners? I want to let you know about a hosting platform that is giving digital agencies and creators around the world an edge when it comes to site speed, scalability, and profit. It's called Cloudways, and it's designed to create exceptional experiences for you and your clients that guarantees unmatched performance, reliability, and choice with 24-7 award-winning support. Cloudways is excited to offer our listeners a $50 hosting credit in addition to their amazing benefits of their agency partner program. For more details, head over to yougurus.com slash cloudways or use promo code DASCW when signing up. Let's get back to our show. I, I hope our listeners, if they are selling UX or interacting with it are, are taking notes and are pausing and rewinding and going, I gotta, I gotta listen to how to sell and talk about UX like Aiden does. Uh, Cause I can tell you do this every day. 
one group of people that you tell me you work with all the time and just thinking about UX and thinking about stakeholders, you've done a lot of stuff with University of Toronto and higher ed. And mm-hmm. I just imagine these like departments of academics trying to come together and make decisions and build consensus of like what needs to be on the website. I, I don't know. I yeah. had like a, I had a brief time. I think one of my very first websites I was, or that other people were asking me to build was at my high school Back in like nice. 1999, I was building the department yeah. websites for you know the different the different uh, school clubs and things like that, and it was hard, man. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't envy you at this situation. You're going into universities. You've got a lot of stakeholders. Like, how do you organize UX with that many diverse stakeholders and people that are obviously have 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 a want, right? Like, if I'm some yeah. So, you know, if I'm some professor and I've got like a department or whatever, like I want my stuff to be like front and center on the website, right? Everybody kind of has that desire. What's, how does your process show up for them? So for those kinds of situations, which is most of them. So anytime you've got a, you know, a larger organization, there's going to be a ton of people at the table uh, who need their input. And so the, basically what we try and do is take them through a system that's designed to hear their input at the right times to enable open discussion and disagreement about the, you know, goals, objectives, audience, and so on in little pockets (laughs) where we have a time and a place for the disagreements. We sort of document them, send them around to everyone and have these, have these systems come into place. So how that might actually look like on a website build is, you know, at the very beginning, we would want to interview the stakeholders, obviously, and they, and we'll ask them like, who are the audiences of your website? What are your business objectives? Generally, the more senior you go, uh, they're very clear on the business objectives. And that part of the thing is easy to extract from a couple of key stakeholders. And they'll think that they've got a really good pulse on the audience. And sometimes they do, and sometimes they don't. And so we listen to all of that and then like to go into user experience research. We'd like to actually talk and interview with their actual audiences. Uh, If we can't do that, then I want to be speaking with the service people. So whoever answers the phones or whoever gets the complaint emails or the questions, um, those folks are great people to talk to about what your audience actually needs because they're not getting it and calling and asking for it. Mm. Other tricks we can do is put surveys into the website, do email surveys, those kinds of things. But really, we want to have real data where we can build empathy and understanding for the audience ideally with numbers, so that we can come back to the stakeholder groups and be like, all right, we heard what your business objectives were. We heard what, you know, what the assumptions are, what the audience needs, their assumptions, right? So we go out and actually start to measure what the audience actually needs. And that's, that's how we can get to step one, which is let's identify who, who is the users of our audience and what are their goals. So often in UX design, we'll create personas, which are fictitious characters that represent a group of our audience, or maybe we just make archetypes. So even really just labels to describe group of people. But these are really useful tools for, you know, early meetings and all future meetings to say, hey, person A and person B are both really smart people sitting down at the table. They're bringing together, they're bringing to the table two completely different and yet good ideas, but we can only execute one. So by using this method of having personas and archetypes, we can reframe the questions of the stakeholders at the table where they're like, I think we should go in this direction. And I feel this solution is the best solution for us. 
And we reframe that, that conversation to be more like, well, for Persona X, which of these two solutions will be an easier path for them to find what they need? And it really just reframes the conversation away from, you know, most people are pretty uh, capable of defending the business and organizational interests that they might have at the table. Like it's easy for folks to keep that in mind, but it's hard to balance out the needs of your end audience when you've got so many things to worry about. And so I kind of feel like our practice, we, we almost become an end user advocate at the, and bring that, that, that advocacy for our end users to the table and just sort of remind folks of, of what our research shows people actually need sort of over and over again so that we can reframe our decisions in the context of what they need. Because if we just try and force our organizational needs across, people won't be interested, they won't be engaged, or they won't find what they're looking for. The, I mean, just thinking about this, you mentioned hearing the input. So that's that's like one part of this, right? This the business objectives and then the audience objectives. And then you said something which was hearing the input, but also hearing the input at the right time. So I get the impression that you're talking to these various stakeholders, whether it's people in the organization or users, potentially throughout discovery process, maybe part of the design process, the build process. The law. I mean, it's am I am I on, on the right track here? You might hit all these absolutely. different stages. Yeah, absolutely. You, you got to have a kickoff, which then gets everyone's objectives and goals. Then go off and do some research and present the research back. So that we can say, hey, quantifiably, we've now validated that these audiences do indeed actually have these goals. And then really the next step is we get into information architecture design. And there's a couple of different processes for this. If you're really starting with a blank slate, then sometimes it's great to do what's called card sorting, where you literally like basically we run kind of a, sc- a scan on their existing website. And imagine you just get a list of every page that exists now. We sort of audit those and be like, okay. Let's filter out the pages that are outdated and decide what we're going to rewrite. But now it's time to organize all this content. And so you can literally print out index cards and like have people organizing them on a table and work as a big group to collaborate and, and brainstorm ideas. Not so, not hasn't been so COVID friendly these days. So there's online tools that do similar processes. But whatever the process is, work as a team, come together and come up with your best idea of how the site labels and the navigation architecture should be structured in such a way that those labels are intuitive back to your audience. And so once we have those, once we have those structures in place, then we we definitely want to be doing that collaboratively. Where basically you come to a point where everyone at the table is like, hey, this makes sense. We think this is going to be easy. We think this is going to make sense. But we all bring our own assumptions to the table and we always have to challenge our own assumptions. And so the next thing to do is to test it, right? And and to test it is actually pretty darn easy because we've now defined who our audiences are and outlined some of their goals. So basically we can do what's called tree testing where we like load this proposed information architecture into a little like software survey tool, basically. Email it out. And in the case of like our higher ed um, projects, we'll email it out to a couple hundred students. You know, five or 10% response rate. We end up getting like, I don't know, 50 responses or something like that, where there's actually like goals where people are trying to accomplish things within the website, but it's just this quick little survey where you see a blank navigation you click through and we can empirically measure how successful people are, those people being our target audience of real students at accomplishing some critical goals we all agreed were critical on just the labels and navigation structure in the website. If you go through this process, it's always surprising because we always think it's easy and intuitive. 
you know, navigation to use. We think it's perfect. And then we do testing and there's always something that actually trips up our end users. And so this is like a quick, relatively cheap and easy way to do some validation of your own assumptions and structure and do some iterations of how you're going to organize your website's content before you even thinking about wireframes or code or, you know, content or whatever, and really just organizing the buckets. And that's building a really solid foundation for, for your website process. And, you know, when it comes to sort of bringing it back to like, how do we pitch it or whatever, it's kind of being like, hey, if you don't invest any budget into making sure that you are building the right house for, you know, for, for, for your audience, like you're not even thinking about, you know, drawing up plans and seeing how people think about them before you just get into starting to lay bricks. It's a totally irresponsible way to invest your budget. It always makes sense to to invest some percentage of your budget to make sure that you're going to that what you were building actually solves the problems for the people you're trying to build it for. Speaking of budget, you know, it, it's almost like you've you've helped me unpack, right? Like like if I had a a dream scenario back to thinking of when we were building, you know, websites for more complex organizations where there were a lot of stakeholders, a lot of different types of users, and I'm like thinking about all these interviews, I'm thinking about all this these you know insights to pull from people it's like a dream scenario to be able to talk to all these people and then have the right you know fact finder types to organize this stuff mm-hmm. into like really streamlined things and i think you see these on large websites that are that are really effective like we all we all use really big websites every day that like make sense and then we've all used really big websites where it doesn't make sense like i was just using a just to bring a personal example, like I was trying to resize an image on Shutterstock and somebody, they they changed their design interface and mm-hmm. they made resizing only available on this new like upgrade, right? Like you had to buy yeah. something in order, you know, so here I've been, I've been a Shutterstock customer for five years. I have like a very expensive account for licensing stock and I've been doing this workflow for five years and all of a sudden it's like, nope, sorry, you got to pay extra money. I'm like, okay, obviously nobody sat down and did the UX on this. But yeah, kind of my core question here is like, what kind of budget? You mentioned a percentage of budget. I mean, I assume that if we're on a shoestring budget, like a 10 or 15K website, I mean, being able to go do like 10 stakeholder interviews to me feels like a non-starter. Like it's, it's just not going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we just don't have the kind of budget. Like what kind of scope and budget are you working within uh, with your clients to, to be able to have this freedom to organize the information at this level? Yeah, I mean, usually we're working, you know, on 50K to like 200K projects in that sort of range before extensive UX work can be done. But it really back to the comment of like, your comment on it, it it is really a percentage because even if you do a small, tiny website, not all of these activities are huge, expensive activities. Like obviously user research interviews are pretty expensive, but embedding a feedback form on your website when you're, you know, you know, you're going to be doing an upgrade sometime over the next year, like just install it on your website, you know, right now, because there's tons of tools that provide feedback in there or even even start just organizing the feedback that comes in that your support team might already have to just like triage. Again, we don't need perfect research. Like a little research is a is, is 100 times better than none. And so if you can talk to three people and then and then come up with a theory and then a little later in the project, talk to another three, there's no excuse to do no research. It's always at least, you know, 10, 10% of a larger project, 25%. 
of a smaller project, something like that makes sense to do it because where are you going to spend your budget otherwise? You're going to be building things. And the biggest waste of money possible is to build things that no one uses or are you paying for content that no one looks reads or, or consumes. So it always makes sense to do some research. And if it's a smaller project, then it's a lot less research. There's a lot of techniques you can do or there's a really good book called from Steve Krug called um, Don't Make Me Think. And that is that is sort of the UX research book. And then he has a second book called Rocket Surgery Made Easy. Both of these books, they're old now. They're like, I don't know, over 10 years old. Yeah. Don't make me think yeah. that. I That was like, a, ah, like what? This yeah. is this guy. I love this guy, right? It was like a, it's, a it's, game they're changer. Ancient. They're, they're ancient. But the whole point of the book is like, you don't need to be an expert to do this work. You just, and, and you just need to like absorb, you know, get the mindset. If you're on a smaller project, like, and you're an agency, then delegate the work to the client to be like, you know what? Just do these three things, do a couple interviews and, and identify the top pain points for your audience, not the pain points for you as the organization, because they're already going to be fully aware of that. They're already going to tell you those things. Uh, but, but so, so in our case of our smaller projects, actually, we might do like a quick outbound email survey instead of moderated, you know, in-person interviews. You can discover a lot more with an interview, like, like, because you can, you can, you know, find a little kernel of an idea and dive deep into it. So I'm not dismissing the value of that, but to do something quick and simple is so much better and so much it's, 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 it's like insurance on not building the website that people don't use. And so, so once we explain this, even on smaller projects, even the principles of, of just like, yeah, read rocket surgery made easy and get some person you don't know, who's never seen the website, who maybe is your friend or something. That's fine. As long as they're sort of vaguely in the target audience and just put it down in front of them and learn how to, Ask them to accomplish things in the website and just be quiet or say, uh-huh, yeah. And just like let them speak aloud and navigate and express what they like and don't like. Maybe not your friend. They're gonna be <laughs> cautious. Maybe they're gonna be cautious about like giving you negative advice. So or or if it is your friend and you deal the website, say that it's someone else's website and 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 let them, you know, let them provide some feedback because you'd be amazed. Once you you can't see the trees from the forest when you're in the in the project you you're not aware of your own your own biases and your clients aren't aware of their own biases. We sit down to plan everything out, and so just validate your assumptions before you earn a bunch of money building stuff. Hey, what's up, agency owners? I want to tell you about one of my favorite white label partners, E2M. They can help with all your website design, web development, SEO, and content needs for your client projects. This includes WordPress, WooCommerce, Shopify, BigCommerce, Webflow, Duda, SiteGlide, custom PHP applications, and much more. Have peace of mind when it comes to your outsourcing needs. Let E2M become an extension of your team so you can grow and scale how you want. Check them out today at E2MSolutions.com. That's E, the number two, M, solutions.com. All right, back to our show. It, it reminds me like early web when we'd work with these entrepreneurs and founders and they'd get these like, you know, kind of crazy ideas of what they wanted on, on their website. I, mean, I remember this one guy who owned, uh, 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 he was one of our clients and he was, he ended up, we ended up having to fire him, but he was uh, like a veterinary equipment maker and he was just committed to us having animated clouds on the header behind the navigation. And, you know, it was like, 
It was, and then he couldn't figure out why the website loaded so slow. And we're like, you know, and it, it wasn't, you know, we had to make it in a flash and then the navigation to make it, you know, have work with SEO. And there's like all this stuff. Right. And, and it was just like one of those things where, you know, I think, I think ultimately the web and our practice and just listening to you, it's, it's like the practice of being a web pro. I think that, you know, it, it's like knowing some of this stuff is like table stacks now. Like you have to, mm. you can't, you can't just be like, oh, I want animated clouds in the header. Like, let's do that. Right. I mean, it's like, what are the people using the website want? Right. Cause that's who we're really like, that's who we're building this thing for. Right. Like, like, you know, we can't come in and say, oh, there's this, some crazy vision. I mean, I even think about our rebrand project, Aiden, and thinking about, mm-hmm. you know, like what's our brand represent for our customer became a huge focus versus like, what does it mean? you know, what's our personal preference of like design and color versus like what represents this idea. And I think that, you know, just hearing that more people like yourself are building websites and applications with the users at the front of, of the conversation, I think is, is making a better internet. It sounds like you're, I mean, you're obviously very busy with the work that you're doing for your <laughs> clients. I know that you're very much in demand and probably some days it feels like you're kind of bursting at the seams, but it, I mean, it seems like positioning your agency around UX has been uh, has been a good thing for you ultimately. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and just to sort of uh, jump in on that with the UX part, the, the like UX practice, because it's ho- honed onto our audience, there is kind of a right and wrong, right? Like, does it align with our audience's needs or not? Uh, and that's something that's a little bit soft, a little bit fuzzy, but is measurable. Mm. The time that it comes to collaborate and express our own vision that's really the visual identity part of a project where we can, there is no, design is basically inherently subjective. I mean, you can do things that are terrible design decisions. We can all agree with that, but it's subjective. And so, you know, again, to the the, the different phases of the project and when one collaborates with stakeholders, uh, it's kind of a different story when you're at the UX phase and sort of using real numbers and real uh, measuring real inputs from, from audience versus the the visual design phase of a project, which our process is also very collaborative, but we generally sit around with a bunch of folks and pull up other example websites. And we've sort of carefully curated examples to help us guide decisions about the visual identity of the project and where we want to set the boundaries. And so that's an example where, where you can just kind of be free and go wild and be subjective, but it's got to have the time and place within the project lifecycle to make sure that that, uh, that happens at the right time. And you don't want to blur the two things, right? Or else you end up with the cloud navigation and no <laughs> one can click. No one can click and it won't load and, and I'll be slow. So it's it's kind of fun to see. Part of the thing that I really enjoy about this work is like that we constantly evolve our process over a long time, but it's different. Like it's different. It's a different kind of job at different parts of these larger project life cycles. And that change I find sort of interesting and compelling to be in a different zone at a different part of the very same project. So it keeps it interesting for me. Aiden, fascinating conversation, man. I love I love geeking out on this stuff. I think that what you're doing at uh, at Foster Interactive is uh, is is very compelling, and uh, and obviously you've been you built a very successful brand and some amazing client relationships. Uh, over the last 17 years. So I, I think you made the right choice after after college. You have some time to stick around for our lightning round? Sure, totally. What is the best advice you've ever received? Hire a bookkeeper as your first employee. 
or first team member you hire. I put that off a little too long, and that is the most expensive and boring, painful mistakes you can make. There's no, no worse way to learn tax law than to do things wrong and then get penalized for them. Which of your personal habits has contributed most to your success? I love learning new things. And so basically I've engineered the entire company and the life cycle of the company to enable me to constantly learn new things. So I think that, uh, I think that curiosity is, has been uh, paramount to the success we've had. Can you share an internet resource or some tools that you think our listeners would find valuable and maybe throw out some stuff around UX that you all use? Yeah, there's a tool suite called Optimal Workshop, which provides a suite of tools that we often use for uh, the tree testing. And uh, you can do tree testing, card sorting. Uh, those activities are really, really great. I also really like doing surveys in type form, which is just a, a little bit cleaner, easier sort of survey tool. So I find that I don't know, when, when the survey UX experience itself is a little cleaner, you get a little bit of a higher response rate. And what book would you recommend and why? Yeah, don't make me think. Uh, and Rocket Surgery Made Easy. UX practice doesn't need to be big, expensive, a whole multi-month life cycle. You can just inject little bits of it into your pre-existing practice in little bite-sized, you know, add in something new to your existing practice at different steps in it. And those books are both like, you can read them in an hour and they're actually literally funny books and, and sort of fun to read. So I think that's, uh, that would, I, I, I can say that they, they've influenced me more than, uh, more than most that I've read. We will link out to Don't Make Me Think and Rocket Surgery Made Easy, as well as Optimal Workshop and Typeform for folks that are looking for some tools to get started on their UX journey, or I love that insight of just adding a little bit here and there, not trying to revolutionize your agency, but just bring in some of these concepts. I think every one of these UX tools and ways of thinking is going to add a ton of value to web pros and marketing pros around how they're building and implementing this stuff for their clients. So thank you for those recommendations. You can find those links at yougurus.com forward slash podcast. So if you're out on the road or on a run or like me out on your bike, Check out yougurus.com forward slash podcast. If you're listening to this week of, you'll see Aiden's photo right up there at the top. Click on him and you'll see some gold nuggets, takeaways, quotables, and all those links in one place for you. Aiden, how can folks find out more about you? Is there anything that you have that they can check out? Yeah, if you could check us out on our website at fosterinteractive.com or reach out to me on LinkedIn, just drop a note saying you heard on the podcast and, uh, and I'd be happy to connect. And I love chatting about this stuff. So feel free to reach out. Awesome. We'll include links to fosterinteractive.com as well as your LinkedIn profile. So if folks want to become super fans of Mr. Aiden Foster, they can do that at yougurus.com forward slash podcast. Aiden, thanks so much for stopping by the program today. Thank you so much for having, having me. It's been a lot of fun. And that is it for this week's episode of the Digital Agency Show. Stay tuned each and every week for more great content coming to you to help you grow your digital agency so you can achieve freedom in business and life. Until next time, I'm Brent Weaver. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And remember, if you want this free gift all about how to scale to six and seven figures and beyond in your agency, just text the word FREEDOM to 720-792-8036. That's the word freedom to 720-792-8036. 
Until next time, I'm Brent Weaver.